Yo, welcome back to the Spilt Milk Podcast. I'm Ayar Him. I got FB with me, and we have a very special guest for you guys today. Um, but before we start, we want to say thank you to everybody that donated. Thank you to everybody that subscribed to our YouTube channel. Thank you so much to everybody that's given us reviews, given us five stars. Um, if you haven't, it's very, very simple. Go ahead and subscribe to the podcast and go ahead and give us five stars. We're on 11 different platforms. Um, and yeah, so we're going to go ahead and we're going to introduce our special guest for today. We have Sabrina Aman with us. And she was born in Virginia to Eritrean parents. And then she was raised in Qatar, right? So um, she graduated from university or George Mason University with a degree in communications and public relations. After that, she spent several years working in the World Bank in Washington, D.C. Um, and then after that, correct me if I'm wrong, you moved to L.A., right? Yes. Why L.A.? <laughs> um... First of all, hello, hello, hello. Thank you guys for giving me the opportunity to be part of your amazing Spilt Milk podcast. It's an honor. Um, I moved to LA, my God. Um, <laughs> I just, I wanted I wanted something more than what I was um, doing in, uh, in the DMV area, as we call it, DC, Maryland, Virginia. Um, I... I had an amazing job. I had just, you know, started working at the World Bank, um, actually as an intern when I was in my last year in university. And then uh, they hired me as staff you know, when I graduated. It was an honor to be part of such a prestigious institution uh, for several years. But um, I think working there, even though their, you know, their uh, slogan or motto is to reduce world poverty, I felt like I wanted to get involved even more. I want, I didn't want to be behind a computer doing, you know, reducing world poverty from a computer. I wanted to mm -hmm. do more hands-on work, and I didn't know how, I didn't know where, I didn't know how to start, but I knew it was somewhere in California. I knew I needed to spread my wings and kind of get out of my comfort zone. You know, as a young Muslim woman who uh, grew up with family, very family oriented, uh, it's easy sometimes to kind of get a little bit too comfortable, um, too stable, too secure. And so um, I wanted challenges. I wanted to do something more. And I didn't know what that more entailed mm -hmm. um, until I moved to California. So yeah, so I, I was in my wow. early days. I said wow. goodbye to the World Bank. Uh, the World Bank staff actually thought I was crazy. A lot of people tried to talk me out of it. Like, Sabrina, what are you doing? You don't have money saved. You know, you have such a great job. People dream for this position. People with PhDs worldwide apply to get into the World Bank. You know, you have amazing benefits. What are you thinking? You know, and these are like uh, older people. You know, I was in my early 20s and my colleagues were in their 40s and 50s. And they're trying to talk me out of moving to LA, you know, they're like, you don't have a job waiting for you there. You don't have money saved. You don't have family or friends. What are you thinking? Are you crazy? And I said, you know what? I don't know what I'm thinking. I don't have any of the stuff that you just mentioned, but LA is calling my name. I know once I go there, not only will I enjoy the beautiful weather of the West Coast, <laughs> but also I am sure I can do something more, more hands-on work for my people in Africa. And I didn't know how, but sometimes you just don't know until you take the first step. And that first step for me was to buy a one-way ticket to Los Angeles. And uh, lo and behold, you know, I, I, uh, I left the World Bank. They threw a big farewell party for me on my last day. And I remember the, the director of the agri uh, 
consultative group of international agricultural research. He threw a big farewell party for me and uh, he, he wanted to make an announcement and he told everyone, everyone that discouraged me to leave that. He said, Sabrina is leaving to go to the West Coast without knowing what she's going to do there. She has no security. She has no idea what she's going there for. She's leaving such a prestigious job for the unknown, something we were all afraid to do when we were her age. And we should all congratulate her right now. We should all take pictures with her right now because she's going to become somebody, somebody that we were all afraid to become when we were her age and watch watch her become somebody and he took a picture with me to prove to me that one day you know in the past he was my boss and and everybody came to me one by one congratulated me and they hugged me and started telling me that when they were my age they dreamed of taking a risk like this to pursue what they really wanted to do and that was the arts but they chose a secure a secure job a more stable and safer route in life and they they stayed in the world bank and so um i i was so happy that every Everybody finally congratulated me and, and pushed me to do it. And yeah, and, and the rest is history. I came to L.A. and yeah. So, so, so when you, you came to L.A. In, in the pursuit of the unknown, right, which is kind of like magical, like we, a lot of us don't have the gut to do that. And it's amazing to hear someone from our community that's able to do that and follow the unknown and then find theirself in that process and become something not something but become an amazing person like yourself like being able to pay back to such communities right and we can talk a lot about that yeah um, so that's uh, to me the first thing I, that comes to mind is how did you convince your parents one you know two um <laughs> two i think that it was like a it was like a thing that will smith put up on his ig and it was about like standing over a cliff and like jumping right and especially being kind of you know a minority and you know having a parents go through what they went through and just kind of like taking like that risk or that gamble is so heavy and it's just kind of like hey you have a, a twin size bed at home you know what i mean why would you give that up to like you know you already have so much Right? Why would you go ahead and take this risk? So you actually like sharing this with us is powerful. It's really, really powerful. And everybody that's like afraid to go ahead and jump off that cliff and, you know, and take this risk. You know, we have somebody here that can attest to it, you know, that did this and said, hey, look, I turned out to be okay. And I think that's really powerful. Yeah, very, very possible. Absolutely. Cool. So, so as far as my parents. Mm-hmm. As far as my parents, um, oh my God, I don't even know. <laughs> you know, being a, the child of beloved African parents, you know, conservative, religious, traditional, I mean, name it. Um, it was not an easy thing to tell them, you know, in my early 20s, your your daughter, you know, your daughter, not your son, but your daughter <laughs> is embarking on this journey, um, you know, without a job waiting for me, without they thought i was out of my mind to the point where they they were in denial they did not believe what i was saying they thought i was bluffing joking dreaming name it <laughs> um, my mom did not believe it until the day the moving truck came to uh ship my car to move my car she she saw them pick up in the car from the driveway and she broke down in tears you know and uh, that was actually two days before my departure um because again, 
I made that decision not six months prior to uh, to the date that I left. I made that decision three weeks prior to my trip to LA. I was three weeks prior. I was at the World Bank. It did not cross my mind for me to move to the West Coast. My my term at the World Bank was coming to an end, and I had the option to renew it mm-hmm. or or go elsewhere to get my master's degree or just kind of start something new. And I, you know, if I were to renew my term at the World Bank, it's another two year commitment, which again many people would dream to have that opportunity. And so, um, three weeks. Prior, I said, you know what, I'm going to buy a one-way ticket without telling my family and then I'm going to let them know. Because if I tell them before, they're going to discourage me, my friends are going to discourage me, everyone's going to discourage me. So I, I have to do this on my own. It's between me, myself and, and God. <laughs> so I bought the ticket and I, I dropped the bomb to my parents. My dad, my dad is a big believer on you can go to another planet as long as it uh, involves higher education or career. He's very supportive in that sense. Mother, my mother is a lot more protective as every mother is, you know, of her child. Um, I lived with her, you know, you don't, you know, in, in my culture, you don't really move out of your parents' house until you get married, you know? So, so she was in denial until she saw my car get picked up by the moving truck and she broke down in tears and she came to me like, child, please don't do this. You're making a big mistake. You don't, we don't have family in California. You don't have friends, you know, you don't have a job. You, you didn't save money. And, and I said, mom, it's okay. It's going to be great. I'm going to make something big of myself. And I promise you, you will be proud of me one day. And it might take time, but you've got to have faith in me. And um, it was devastating for her. And it was devastating for me to see her that way. Uh, But I had to have faith, you know, like my favorite quote by Martin Luther King. He always, I don't know if you guys remember this quote. He says, take the first step in faith. You don't have to see the whole staircase, just take the first step. And it's exactly the same thing as what Will Will Smith said. We don't always have to know if we're going to hit the bottom when we fall off the cliff or or if we're going to fly, right? Mm -hmm. We don't know if we're going to make it all the way down the staircase, but we just have to take that first step. But you have to have real deep faith in order to do that. Um, yeah, that's yeah, that's so. super, 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 super powerful. So, and I kind of want to ask you, right? So, you're at the World Bank, right? You're you're saving the world behind your computer, right? You're comfortable. You're what you know. And then you said, you know what? I need more. You left to LA, right? Yes. To help your community from LA. Like, Absolutely. so, and I guess what I'm wondering, I guess the question that I want to ask you is how do you decide, and first of all, like what community are you helping? One, two, where are they? Like you're leaving your, you know, you grew up in, you know, you're, you're, you know, Virginia, DC, you know, DMV based, right? But you're going to LA. Yes. So can you like walk me through? So- yeah. So the thing about Washington, D.C., Washington, D.C. is another Hollywood in a different way. It's more into politics. People work at the White House. I remember I used to go have lunch at the White House every day with, you know, because I worked a block away from there. I had friends. It's people work in the hills. People work at the World Bank, IMF, you know. So it's a different form of Hollywood. Now, Hollywood is different because it's full of creators, you know, um, in the in the entertainment industry. And it's easy to get comfortable in, in Washington, D.C. Whereas in California, I knew that I can do more hands-on work, not involving sitting behind a, you know, desk and a computer, but more hands-on work that involved something that 
our people in, in, in East Africa specifically are lacking. And that's media and the, the power of media, the power of that platform to really bring change to the many issues that we face in Africa. So for example, Eritrea specifically, we don't have a lot of people in the media industry uh, that come from this country, from Eritrea. Little by little, it's growing now, thank God, our generation, they're getting more involved in the media and entertainment. But we were lacking it eight years ago when I decided to move to LA. And so I knew that whatever it is that I wanted to be a part of was going to be in the media platform but I didn't know how. I didn't know what my skills were. I didn't know if I was going to uh, write, direct, produce, act. I didn't know, you know, but I knew that, that that's where my ta- talent was. Ever since I was a child, I knew I wanted to be in the media. So why, why, is, so, why is media, like, important? Or, like, you know, you're, like, why is that a thing? It's the fastest way you can send a message across the world to the majority of the people around the world, the fastest way. You know, you could write a book and little by little, you could spread your message. It might take years. Mm-hmm. You could you could spread your message in a media platform, on a media platform, mm-hmm. and it could spread within minutes. So, And I saw the problem. So are you mm-hmm. trying to change a narrative? With, you know, As, with you entering, you know, the media platform or the media space? I, I don't I don't think I'm trying to change a narrative. I'm trying to bring awareness on something that's not getting any attention or not as much attention as it deserves through the media platform. I think it's about the conversation of and I, I see what you're doing, Sabrina. It's an amazing work. Um, bring an exposure right uh bringing awareness to you know when we have eritreans in the media then if something happened regarding eritreans these people are powerful enough to bring those topics into the media space right if something about somalia happens um but most of the people are talking about it are uh, Caucasians. It doesn't hit home as much as a Somali uh, anchor who's actually speaking about the issue. Um, and aside from that, I mean, you not only speaking about the issues, you know, powerful way for youth, for people to come up and have exposure to such people to actually like okay maybe i want to be an anchor um and i can see that's like people like you sabrina who paved the way for you know people that come behind you and say you know what i want to learn how to be an actor i want to learn how to produce i want to learn how to do that now they feel like okay i can reach to sabrina who's a person of color like myself who came from the same background from protected parents um and learn mm-hmm. from her Right. Mm-hmm. And yeah, and no, I think that's that's actually like uh, yeah. I feel like I'm saying the word powerful so many times today, you know. <laughs> but I definitely see. <laughs> no, this is because I'm not gonna lie. This is a powerful conversation, yeah. man. Like this is this is some yeah, deep shit. No, I feel it. So, and I think that's really important. And I and I and I applaud you for entering, you know, this the media space because, um, you know, if you don't tell your story, somebody else will. You know, and mm. y- there's nobody better to tell your story than yourself, you know, and I think that it's important to have control um, of your story, you know what I mean? And tell it the way that it should be told and the, the way that it has to be told. And I think bringing awareness, you know, awareness or exposure or whatever you want to call it is really, really powerful because, um, you know, a lot of people can turn a blind eye so quickly to a lot of issues in the world. And if you and if it's, if it's not told. 
you know what i mean and yeah yeah you know what i mean and i feel like that sometimes that we are the ones that turn a blind eye to issues that affect us because we might not want to be the ones to talk about it or we might feel ashamed or we might be discouraged by other people not to share these stories that are really really important so seeing somebody that looks like us that talks like us you know what i mean that moves like us say hey you know what i'm going to tell the story of xyz because they are an extension of me i think that's really powerful you know that's that's i agree I agree, but I want to go back to something you just said. If you said if you don't tell your story, someone else will. The problem with the crisis in Eritrea, specifically Eritrean refugees, uh which is something that uh is uh, something I'm very passionate about. If I don't tell my story, I'm not afraid that someone else won't tell uh will tell it. I'm afraid that no one will tell it. That's the issue. with this part of the world um in Africa if you don't tell the story no one else will tell it because i wish we had anybody of any ethnicity white black asian purple green name it from any part of the world i wish we can have somebody talk about this on the media like they talk about other issues and so i felt obligated as a eritrean american you know when i learned about the subject you know just a few years ago the crisis i didn't know anything about it and so i said if i don't know about it and i'm a fellow african if i don't know issues about african related issues about you know my own continent my, the motherland why would i expect another person who is not african to know about it and why would i uh, expect that person to actually care about that issue if i don't care about the issue that's happening in, in africa myself so it you know change starts within yourself and so that's when i said all right well let me do my part let me do the little that i can do um with you know with myself let me see what i can do how much awareness i can raise and maybe then i will inspire and encourage other people to also have this conversation and to kind of start talking about this as so well. like what triggered that type of thinking within yourself was it something that you were just kind of like born with and you're like you know what as a 3 year old living in qatar i want to do this for eritrea or was did you have like a like did you just realize like oh wow really there's nobody telling the story or was there like an experience that drove you to this those are really good questions so growing up i knew i wanted to be in the arts um ever since i was young you know my family would come into my bedroom and they would see me holding a brush you know as a microphone and i'm looking at myself in the mirror delivering the latest uh, breaking news um you know i was 6 years old 7 year old talking and i knew at that moment that i had the skills and a natural god-given talent um of the arts but growing up in the growing up in in you know such a conservative household the arts is really not something your parents want you to pursue you know when you're african as you know bro like you got to be a doctor engineer or lawyer nothing else right every african parent wants their children to be a doctor lawyer or engineer um you know so i couldn't really justify to them that i wanted to pursue the arts you know even in college i wanted to study media productions because i knew that's where my heart lied but even then it was uh, a challenging thing to convince my family to accept and so i pursued communications and public relations which was the closest thing to the arts for me um but i had no experience in filmmaking to answer your question no experience no education um 
But I had the desire to give back. And that started when I was working at the World Bank. I, um, you know, it kind of clicked in my head that I was like, where are the Eritreans? Where are the Eritreans? You know, why are we not all over the media talking about our own issues in our country? Where are the Ethiopians? Where are the Somalis? Where are the Africans? They need to, you know, there's so much, so many of us and we have so much power. We have so many resources. Why are we not in the media as much as other people of other ethnicities and nationalities? Are. And the funny so, thing about that so too, I, though, so, and I think I agree that like, and we're really good at it, though, like when it comes to social media, so when it comes good. to media, when it comes to being in front of the camera, I feel like East Africans are really, really, really good at it. Ah, oh, tell me about it. We have so much talent and skills that are hidden you know but you know why they're hidden unfortunately because we come from such a conservative culture that prevents us from spreading our our wings and flying away and utilizing those god-given skills and and i encourage people you know the listeners who are listening to this we are all born with god-given talents and skills i encourage you to listen to what your skill is you know what your skill is we all have god-given talents figure out what that talent is and despite your culture your tradition your parents or whatnot you need to face that fear and pursue what god blessed you with what god blessed you with he is not blessed to somebody somebody else he has blessed he has chosen you and it's a responsibility that you have to take when god gives you something it's a responsibility it's a gift from him you it's a responsibility for you to take that to say thank you and to pursue it and to utilize those God-given skills to make a change, to do what you love, you know. So, so, so let me. Yeah. So, so the, the the interesting thing, though. So you see, a lot of us, including myself, you know, we're either in corporate America, and then we 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 study with, you know, we go to school, and then we go to corporate America, and then you have family that you have to take care of here, and then you also have like your internal community here, um, and then you're saying, well, I'm from Eritrea. You know, like previously on the previous episode, we talked about belonging, right? So people that are born in outside countries like Saudi Arabia, Yemen, then but they're originally from Somalia or Eritrea, then they moved to the United States. So then you have this feeling when you're in corporate America that, hey, I need to help people back home, right? Because you see the struggles. Um, the battle is it's like, you. how do you know? And this is a question for both of you guys. It's like, how do you know you're you're ready to help people because to some degree a lot of us feel like i'm not ready to help people because i need to help myself first i need to rack up my money i need to help my family and it's like where do i start and then like genuinely once i get the money do i pay back my student loans do i get married or do i help yeah. people <laughs> you know it's, it's it's i think it's a, that's a really 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 good question but i feel like you know like what's written for you is not going to pass you. You know what I mean? Mm. It's going to But the action, right? So like it takes it takes action from us and it, you know from Sabrina's perspective for her to leave corporate America. That's that's guts and going to do like the unknown, right? And letting fate determine what she's going to end up with, right? And for us, a lot of us it's like I don't know if I'm ready to help people back home. I don't even know if I'm ready to help people here, to be honest, because I need to get my shit together. I need to get my money up. I need to pay my student loans. I got to take care of my mom. I got to pay my bills. Mm -hmm. 
So then the battle, and I'm. And I'll keep it a buck like, with you though. Like to be honest, mm-hmm. like if you're having those questions, then you are not ready. Simple as that. You know what I mean? But that's the thing though. Like I'm like for Sabrina who's in that space, right? So I'm like, how did she know she was ready? Did she have these questions? Did you have these questions? I, you know, you don't have to have money to make a change. You know, I didn't have money when I went to, okay, check this out. Check, check this. This is how the universe works. This is how God works. Okay. When you decide to take that first step, he will open up the door for you. So you know how when you walk towards an automated, uh, what do you call it? The automatic doors that open up when you get close. Those doors would never open up unless you walked close enough. Mm-hmm. That's how life works. You can't sit back all the way and expect that automatic door to open unless you walk that close to it. And I swear to God, when I decided to go to LA, I didn't have any money. I remember, I think I only saved a thousand, maybe $2,000 without a job in LA. LA is very expensive. So going to LA with a thousand or two thousand dollars and no job waiting for you and in a very expensive uh, rent and all that stuff, it's you. You must be you're out crazy. of your mind. You are crazy. <laughs> <laughs> she said, "Thank you." <laughs> you know, my mom, my mom was worried about me, uh, but this is this is what happened. This is how that automatic door opened to, for me because I said, "No matter what, I don't care if it's only a thousand, two thousand dollars." I'm going to go to LA and I'm going to figure it out. Right. Um, this is what happened that, w- that really freaked me out, bros. The day before I left, I got a large deposit in my bank account from the world bank. And, and I freaked out. I'm like, Oh my God, they, they deposited somebody else's check into my bank account. You know, this is not my money. This is a lot of money. So I called the emergency line. They have like a 24 hour emergency HR line. And I, and I said, listen, I'm flying tomorrow morning to California. I, yesterday was my last day at the world bank. I got this much money deposited into my account by mistake. I just wanted to let you guys know I'm a law abiding citizen. I'm not stealing anyone's money. So please withdraw it out of my account. And they started laughing and they're like Sabrina did you forget at the World Bank when you leave the World Bank they give you 15% of your salary as a thank you and as a goodbye on your last day (laughs) what yeah 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 niggas hiring (laughs) say what I was like 15% of my salary into my bank account the day I you know the day before I flew to LA and that was God's work that was God stamp a stamp of approval from God saying you know what you took that first leap of faith you bought your one-way ticket you shipped your car you said goodbye to your family you're about to fly tomorrow and this is my blessing to let you know you're doing the right thing and I'm only approving because you took the first leap of faith so so and that's that's really interesting and, and that's amazing because now not a lot of companies do that and uh having the powerful like company do such thing that's subhanallah like that's god's wish to be able to tell you like it's a it's a cur- encouraging act it's like yo if you're doing something for hum- for humanity this is you know this is the least i could do for you and it's amazing to hear that um but let's let's you know and that a lot of our listeners right now are probably wondering like okay she's moving to la but how is she helping the people Right? How is she paying back to the people? And I want to ask you now a little bit of, to transition. How, like, you moved to LA, you were, in, you were, you, you did your acting, you were in movies, and then you started directing, right? So, what did you direct? What did you do? Tell us a little bit more. 
Okay, so, you know, you moved to LA, like I said, LA is very expensive. And that money that I got from the World Bank, I ran out immediately within a few months, you know, so it's not like I got to use that money to do anything useful for the community or whatnot. So I moved to LA, fast forward, um, you know, I got tons of offers from the film industry to pursue acting, which is something I never thought about. Um, something I had no interest in doing, to be honest, because I have no background in acting. I'm, I'm not an actress. And so, but I got convinced, try it, try it. You never know. I met a manager who insisted that he wants to sign me and whatnot, sends me to my first audition. I book it. It was a reoccurring co-star role on Nickelodeon, you know, and I, I freaked out. I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm on TV. I'm on Nickelodeon. You know, it's, it's something that I never thought I would do. But again, you, you, you just don't know what life will offer you when you're in that position. And so I go and I pursue acting. Didn't really satisfy me. I'm like, this is not what I want to do. It's fun and game, but I want to create, you know, but I didn't know what I, I didn't know how to create or what to create. It wasn't until something happened that inspired me to make this documentary, The Forgotten. I, I <laughs> this is in the documentary, so I don't really want to spoil it, but I'll give you a little preview. Um, before you spoil it, what is the documentary? What is it about? The documentary, okay, so the, it's called The Forgotten. The documentary is called The Forgotten. It's about uh, the it's about Eritrean refugees who are living in very inhumane refugee camps in eastern Sudan. Um, and I wanted to raise awareness on this refugee issue, but like you said earlier, how are we going to help people when we can't even help our own selves? Right? We got families to take care of. We got student loans to pay. We got rent and car, ice cream, coffee. You know, how are we going to give back when we are struggling ourselves? And so I kind of swept it under the swept it under the rug for uh, many years. You know. And the refugee crisis was just getting worse and worse year after year. I kept hearing about Syrian refugees constantly on CNN. And I'm like, where are the Eritrean refugees? That happened way before the Syrian refugee crisis. Why are we not hearing about it? Again, I swept it under the rug. I'm like, well, I don't know how I'm going to help raise awareness about something like this. You know, I don't have money. I'm not like a director or a producer. But I met a guy. I, I, I remember I went to a conference with my dad. Um, an event called Eritrean Muslim uh, Convention. It happens every year. Um, they usually pick one city to host it in the United States. And I think at some point it was in Minneapolis, maybe last year, actually. So I no, went to... Actually, it's the summer coming up. It's going to be Minneapolis. Shout out to EMC. You know what I'm saying? Oh. If you, if you, Sabrina, I better see you there. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> no, no, no. Okay, okay. So I remember uh, I went to the Eritrean Muslim Convention and they have a matrimony event where they want the men and women to meet each other. You know, traditional, there's like a chaperone, like standing over your head, watching you, you know, hearing your conversation. So they wanted us to meet and it was just awkward. And that's crazy. Um, that I wasn't is really so interested. crazy. What? <laughs> <laughs> Yo. <laughs> Yo, okay. Wolfie, I don't judge me. Okay, I don't need you to judge my culture. No, 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 no. no, no. My community. Yo, you, you guys heard what's going on. There's like, there's like the people that like be stealing brides and all that so i heard every i heard it all but i'm not gonna lie to you though like maybe the small community kind of needs to steal a bride we'll talk what? about that next time don't trip but like <laughs> but that's so so check this out like they're, they're trying to make it as halal as possible they're just trying to make it kosher you know they're trying to you know they're like if you're gonna find a husband or wife within the community then let's do it the right way we're, we're gonna watch what y'all talking about but you know they had this big room where men and women were kind of it was like speed dating you know um but to find, you know, your husband or wife. And so I wasn't really interested in any of the brothers there, but I met this one brother who really, I was just in awe. Like I had my elbows on the table and my hands on just my face, just listening to him talk. And, and, and the reason I was mesmerized 
was because he was telling me his journey as a refugee who just moved to America. And he told me all the torture he went through when he got smuggled uh, for ransom. He got kidnapped and smuggled and tortured and electrocuted. And oh my God. And I was just fascinated by everything he was saying. It was like a movie. And I remember all the girls were laughing at me because they're like, oh my God, she likes this guy. You know, he's a, he's a refugee who just came to America. He's like a FOB. She likes this guy. And they had no idea that what what he was talking to me about was not about himself, like not, you know, a pitch for me to like him on a personal level, but he was just sharing something that was a traumatizing experience for him. And I was, I was so fascinated. I think at that moment, that's, that's when I had the epiphany that I'm not going to sweep this under the rug anymore. This, this guy that I met at a matrimony event just arrived to America as a refugee and the torture he went through. Oh my God, brothers, like it makes me want to cry every time I think about what he me. It's traumatizing for him and for me. And I said, you know what? It's game over. Time for me to go home and figure out how I'm going to raise awareness on this issue because it is not fair that these Africans are not getting the same attention as Syrians. I'm going to go and figure out. I'm going to learn how to make a documentary. I'm going to go to the refugee camps myself to raise awareness. And going to the to the camps yourself is not it's not a vacation. It's a 50-50% chance that you might come back alive because it's dangerous. You get kidnapped when you go there. But I figured, you know what? There's no way to raise awareness but to risk your life. And if that's what I have to do, I'm going to do it. And that's going to get attention. So you're like, okay, boom. I'm a, I'm why? A- Hold on, why? Yeah, yeah, why? yeah. That's a good question. Why? Like, why would you do that? Why? Like, you're comfortable in LA. You're doing, you're acting. You're, you're you know, to somewhat, you're, you're surviving. You're thriving. You're doing things. You're going down your career. You meet this guy. And it's, like, it's horrifying experience he's been through. But why you to make that, to bring awareness to everybody. Somebody else could do it. Why you? So it, I asked myself that for three years. So I met that guy and it took me three years ever since I met that guy to convince myself that it's time for me to go. Why me? Because nobody else was doing it. Nobody else was doing it. I remember Al Jazeera, um, they did, did a documentary on Eritrean refugees. Uh, it's on YouTube in 2015. But still, it wasn't on television. It wasn't, people still didn't know about the issue. And so, why me? Because nobody else was doing it. And it's got to start somewhere. You know, That's, it took me yeah. three, years, three years of me sleeping in my white bed. Every night, I think about who's getting smuggled right now. There's another woman who's like me, younger than me. My, or my age getting raped right now gang raped smuggled tortured electrocuted for ransom eritrean girl like me and that could have been me you know i lived in eritrea i had i grew up in qatar but i lived in eritrea and i had the opportunity to leave eritrea in 98 when the war started between eritrea and ethiopia to come to america because Thank God I was American citizen. I was born in America. So I was qualified to leave the country. But had I not been qualified to leave that country, it would that would have been me, you know, my trying to migrate to Europe. That would have been me that would have been smuggled and raped and electrocuted and tortured. So every night for three years, I kept thinking about them. And I felt selfish. I said, you know, I'm sleeping in my white bed in Los Angeles, comfortable, cozy. I'm so fortunate for the life that I have. But if I die right now, I feel like God is going to ask me, what did you do with those blessings I gave you, Sabrina? I chose you among the fortunate people. What did you do with the skills that I gave you? 
with the little money that I gave you, with the brain that I chose to give you, to give you over animals, <laughs> what did you do with those blessings, girl? I felt like I was gonna get questioned, and I better have an answer. And so, three years of changing my mind. No, I can't do this. I can't risk my life, man. I love my life, you know. Three years later, it was only getting worse. The refugee crisis was increasing. A high number, four to five thousand people. Four thousand to five thousand refugees were fleeing Eritrea every month into Europe. You know, boats were getting capsized, and nobody was hearing about it. So I said, you know what? Excuse my language, but f this. Yeah. It's time to go. It's time to go. And even if I don't come back, at least people will hear about why I went there, and, and it's gonna get. The crazy attention. thing is, so I have an aunt, right? That recently um, was on those boats trying to go to Italy. Oh my she god! Made Did it. she make it? But Alhamdulillah. Al- but like just yeah. hearing her story and be people like they're 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 told that hey, two hundred people are going to be on this boat. You show up. There's seven hundred people on like a rubber boat trying to cross the ocean. They're told there's a six hour urge journey. It takes several days. You know you have to embark on the journey. They have a little motor, and it's just kind of like why did I even leave? The crisis that I was in to go on this journey because I might not have made it, and maybe I had a chance to survive in that space. You know what I mean? So, so I completely like yo, like that hits home when you say that. Like people do go through this every day, and I think that that's the price that we pay for being conscious is saying, hey, I'm aware of all of these things. Maybe I am choosing to turn a blind eye to this, and if I do, maybe God is going to ask me this. And if I am asked this question, what am I truly gonna say? You know what I mean. And I think that's a personal responsibility that, like, oh, again, like I applaud you, applaud you, applaud you for having without a doubt. So, um, and then I want to ask you. So you decided to kind of put your cameras in a briefcase and just go to Sudan. So, 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 okay, so you know. I contacted a few advisors here, you know, my resources, uh, mentors, and one of my good uh, mentors and dear friends of mine is, was at the former VP of BET, the television network. So I sat down with him over lunch and I said, "Brother, I'm trying to raise awareness on this on this topic. What's your advice for me? I want to produce this documentary. I want to direct it, but I don't know. I don't know how to start. Where to start? What's your advice for me?" And he said, "Go there, film it, come back. Let's talk after." I'm like, say what? Like, what do you mean, go there, film it, come back, and how am I gonna go there and film it as something I've never done before? Uh, and what? What are you talking about? And he said, nobody's gonna take you seriously, Sabrina, until you have done something. So why don't you go come back with footage and then let's talk? And I kind of honestly was offended. I'm like, what? What? What kind of advice is that? You know? So I was like, all right, well, okay. Nobody wants to help me. Nobody wants to give me advice right now because. In, in LA, there's a lot of talk, you know, I want to do this, I want to do that, but nobody really does it. Nobody delivers. And so nobody executes per se. So then I was like, all right, you know what, people, I'm sure, I'm sure they're going to help me after I come back with footage. So let me do some research. I did some research. I found an amazing local cinematographer in Sudan, um, ch- interviewed him, checked out his work and uh, raised basically maybe a small amount of money. I think I raised like five, $6,000 to um, cover the expenses, the travel expenses and uh, paying the cinematic photographer hotels whatever um and and i decided to go i remember i told my parents uh, and they both were like absolutely not you must be out of your mind we said okay to you moving to california but we are not going to say okay to you risking your life going to that part of the world eastern sudan um you know being an eritrean american woman and my dad 
is very well known in Eritrea. He's an outspoken activist. Um, he's not really, you know, uh, the most uh, loved person. In if he, if he ever goes anywhere near Eritrea or even Eritrea, uh, he would go say, you know, and me being his daughter, it already puts me at greater risk being his daughter. So, it, I mean, it was just the most dangerous journey for me to take. And so my parents, including my father, they were, they were like, hell no, girl, you're not going to do this. But my dad said, you know what, after I convinced him that I'm going to do this, no matter what, um, he said, all right, well, I'll let you go under one condition. And that condition was for me to join, for him to join. But wait, I'm already at risk being your daughter. If I go there, if you come with me, you're putting me at double risk because they're going to know who you are. They're going to know I'm your daughter and they're going to kidnap both of us. You know, I'm not, I'm not trying to, no, man, I'm not trying to do that. And, and he was like, well, <laughs> I feel better as your father to be there. And if God forbid anything happened to you or to me, at least we're together. And I'm like, all right, I guess if you want to go down, let's go down together. So my dad came with me and we hired, you know, I mean, I met the cinematographer, um, backpacks full of cameras, um, hard drives, you know, so I could transfer everything. And we were trying to go into the camps with a medical convoy, uh, a bunch of doctors that were going there for some um a mission, you know, for a medical mission. And um, we were trying to go there the right way, the legal way, you know, with a permit and whatnot. But we found out last minute that we can't go with the medical convoy because they found out we were filming and they don't want to get in trouble. I found out we can't get a permit. And they were like, you need to turn around and go back to the U.S. You can't really go into the camps. And I was like, nah, we're not going to go back to the U.S. Like we came all the way here, 16 hour flight, you know, um, we're going to do this. If we can't get in legally, we're going to we're going to get in illegally, you know? Oh, so, <laughs> so we went, we went under the radar and, you know, we yeah. went undercover. Mm -hmm. We, I covered my hair. I wore my hijab. I tried to wear clothes that looked like, you know, I didn't come from LA, you know, something that would, that would make me look, look like a fellow refugee in the camps, you know? Um, and we went under the radar and we filmed everything that I saw. And, um, and then I came back. Alhamdulillah, I came. I got caught at the end, but I came back. <laughs> wow! I love how she just like gently said, "Oh yeah, they caught me, but I'm good." You know, like ah, I'm yeah, right. like, yeah, I'm, yeah. I'm cool. Like you know, what I'm saying like yo, it's late, it's late, it's late. No, wow. Yeah, but no, that's that's amazing because you know, going back to the like, I'm just trying to fathom the idea of like leaving World Bank, going to LA paying like creating this documentary going to africa right like how like i mean it's a, it's crazy for even me now to think that oh like leaving my work and everything behind and going to a refugee in sudan and try to like bring light that just yeah yo, absolutely absolutely well absolute well respect. Done. not only did she convince herself to go bro like Sabrina, you convinced your dad to come with you like you know what i'm saying yeah like yeah she, she brought, brought the she whole gig like yo that is so lit <laughs> and um yeah. so i'm pretty sure everybody wants to check out this documentary right so no hold on hold on hold on so before before you get to that right so the crazy thing because me and Sabrina were talking before this and she was telling me like you know if you want, like, you should definitely check this documentary because she actually gets caught up at the end. I'm sorry, Sabrina, <laughs> I'm gonna have to spoil this one. But it's like, bro, she she literally gets locked up. Like, she, they tell her you can't leave. 
like and then the UN is gets like gets involved and like she's trying to come yo yo like, don't spoil it don't spoil it don't spoil it don't spoil it yo okay go ahead yo. do your thing so do your thing happen without spoiling it because the best person to, to to say to give you a little preview without spoiling it is me <laughs> I go and I'm, you know, it, it was a, we were there for a few weeks, you know, and it was the longest few weeks ever. So at some point the cinematographer, he freaked out because we, we went to five different refugee camps and we went to the most dangerous one where the majority of the refugees get kidnapped from. It's called Shagarab. That's the most dangerous one. That's where the Rashida, the smugglers that kidnap refugees, that's where they live outside of that camp in the middle of nowhere. Your cell phone doesn't work. Nothing works. So that's where they usually, if you're in a bus, if you're in a taxi, they'll literally uh, stop the bus. They will go in the bus gunpoint and, and kidnap people. And so when he found out and what do they do? What do they do with people when they kidnap? They kidnap them. They'll take, you know, five, six people and they'll basically take them to whatever, uh, you know, kidnap them and take them to their hidden places or whatnot. And and they'll call their family members. So let's say you're, you're Muhammad, right? Your name is Muhammad. They'll call your family. They'll call your dad and your mom and say, we have your son, Muhammad, or we have your daughter, Fatima, or whatever. Um, give us $30,000 in one week if you want to see your son, Muhammad, alive. Most families cannot deliver $30,000 a week. Their families are, are in Eritrea. You know, some of them are in America or Europe. Or, so so what they start doing to expedite the $30,000 is they start torturing you. They start burning you, beating you. If you're a woman, they'll gang rape you while your parents are on the phone so they can hear you scream from pain. Okay, so then the parents are calling their neighbors, their colleagues, their friends, begging for money to save their child's life. And if you're lucky, they will deliver that money to save you. If you're not lucky, they cannot deliver that much money. And guess what the smugglers do? They take your organs out of your body for harvesting. And if you're lucky, you'll survive and you'll make it to your final destination. Uh If you're not lucky, you'll die. And thousands of them have died. So... And, and the refugees, honestly, some of the refugees that leave the camps to migrate into Europe, they they are okay. They 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 said they would. There's no safe place for them. Eritrea is not safe enough. The refugee is not safe. It's boring there, and and migrating to Europe is not safe. But we would rather take a chance because there is a very small chance of hope. You know, when you migrate into Europe, even though they're, they know they're going to get smuggled, they do it because there is hope for freedom. There is hope for a better ending. So, anyway. so walk us back to so so you guys went to so, this very very dangerous. So camp. We went to da- dangerous camp. The cinematographer is like, I'm not going with you guys. I am out of here. He's like, it's too dangerous for me. I'm like, bro, come on, you're Sud- Sudanese. Like nothing can happen to you. He was like, I don't care. I am out of here, and I'm taking my cameras with me. So he left. Um, so we went to the dangerous camp. Um, something crazy happened there. It's in the documentary. I'm not going to spoil it. But we left that dangerous camp, survived that day. Two days before our trip ended, subhanAllah, I was outside of the refugee camp just on a regular market. They had like this outdoor market. It was like a farmer's market. And I'm walking around recording with my iPhone um, just to get some like footage of the market. And I get pull, uh, I get stopped by an undercover intelligence officer. So that's equivalent to what would be our FBI in the United States. So it wasn't even a police officer. It was an intelligence officer. And he, he, he sees me recording and he's like, who are you? Why are you recording? And I said, oh, I, I'm just an American girl and I'm recording something that's pretty cool with my iPhone. It's something we do in America all the time. Like, what's the problem? And he's like, 
do you have a permit to be here? And I was like, oh my God, I've been here for a few weeks and he's literally going to ask me this question two days before my trip ended. And so my dad basically says, who are you? And the guy's like, I'm an intelligence officer. He shows us his badge and he's like, follow me to the, follow me to the station. And we follow him and we sit down there for a few hours, six different officers asking me questions, interrogating the life out of me. You know, finally they're like, let's see your cell phone. And I said, nope. And, and my dad looks at me like, are you crazy? Like, give them your phone. And I said, no. And in my head, I'm thinking if they see my phone, they're going to see all the footage that I, re I recorded from the camps and I'm going to go to jail forever. They don't care if you're American at that point. They don't care. Even the State Department. I remember I called the State Department in the U.S. Embassy to let them know that I was going there. If anything happens, please save me. They're like, nah, girl, we can't even go there ourselves. Like, if anything happened to you, you're on your own, sister. You know, so... I was, they don't care if you're American in Eastern Sudan, like one, you're in their territory, you know, they could do to you as they please. They can send you right back to Eritrea where my dad and I would definitely go missing. So I said, I'm not going to show you my phone. So I'm looking at my dad trying to communicate to him that my phone is full of footage. I cannot show them this. And my dad finally gets it. So I tell my dad, like, can you please just let the officers know that I, I was talking to him in English so that, you know, I'm sure they understood, but I was like, dad I have private photos private woman photos on my cell phone I cannot show them that stuff you know I told them I have photos without my hijab without my hair like you know things you know me wearing stuff that I shouldn't wear like you know and and he said that to them he's like please if you don't mind can you respect my daughter's privacy she says she has private photos on her cell phone and he says that to them and they're like and they're staring at me like it was like a staring competition, you know, and I'm looking at them like poker face, not like I wasn't trying to cry. I wasn't trying to smile I'm looking at them and they're like, all right, show us the couple videos that you recorded when we when we stopped you. So I went up to them, showed them the videos. And the rest is in the documentary. Oh, wow. <laughs> that is absolutely That's crazy. crazy. Yo. Yeah, I'm watching it. Yo, yeah, yo, March 30th, we're going, right? right? March 30th, yo, March 30th um, at the Heights Theater, 12.30 p.m. Um, it's going to be, it's, it's an hour film. I'm coming there. My dad is coming there from the East Coast. Uh, we're, we're coming because we want to meet and greet everybody that's attending. We're so happy we're showing this in Minneapolis. It, it actually wasn't in our map. We showed it in other cities in the U.S. and Canada, sold out. We're coming to Minneapolis because we know there's a large community of Africans there, a strong community of Africans. And so we, we, we were like, we got to show it in Minneapolis. So we're coming there. We're having a Q&A session right after the documentary, a one hour Q&A with the audience and us. We want to answer as many questions as they have. The Q&A is going to be moderated by um, the local news station, CARE 11 uh, reporter. Her name is Kia, uh, Kia Edwards. Uh, so, yeah, March 30th. I hope to meet everyone that day. I'm so excited. Uh, so Sabrina, how, how can that's, how can people get that's amazing? They can go to the link, which is www.theforgottenminneapolis.eventbrite.com, and they can go ahead and get their ticket that day. And we can and we can share that on our in our in our page too. Um, but for people that are listening to this, right, and you're wondering, like, yo, I'm I'm from you know, an African background, I want to help, but I don't know where to start. 
right? This is a time for you to, this is the minimum thing you could do is to get up, come out, show up, talk to Sabrina. She's going to be there, right? If you want to get into that filming, if you want to get into media, if you want to pay back any way possible, there's resources that you need to utilize. So come out, show love, um, and figure out what, how, how you can help. Right. And this is not necessarily just for Eritrean. This is for Somali. This is for this is a refugee crisis worldwide. Um, and we want to make sure we bring awareness to these issues. Yeah. I, no, I, say, it, like, yeah. I remember you guys said earlier, what what are you doing You know, here for the community in the United States and you know, versus the community in uh, the refugees in Africa? Obviously, my focus and my passion is to give back to those less fortunate uh, in Africa. But what I love doing here for the people, for the community here, especially the uh, people in my generation or the younger generation is to do for them what was not done for me. It's, and that's just to guide them on whatever it is they want to do, whether it's in the media platform um, or any other platform. If they need advice, guidance, um, I'm happy to speak to them and guide them, you know, to kind of hold their hand as the older sister who's been through excuse my word, shit, you know, guide them. Because I didn't have that. I didn't have that when I first came here. I didn't have an older sister or older brother to hold my hand and guide me. I really learned the hard way. Um, it was hard for even my family to guide me because they didn't understand what I was doing. So if anybody needs me, if anybody wants feedback, guidance, advice, anything like that, please don't hesitate to ask. I encourage you to come and meet me in person. But even if you can't come, reach out to me on social media. I'm all over, you know, Facebook, Instagram. I'm sure the brothers are going include the links for my social media accounts as well so reach out to me yeah sabrina we want to say thank you thank you thank you so much for coming on this episode and telling us your experience sharing the work that you've done the work that you're going to do and um yo man we need more sabrinas you know we need a whole lot of more yes we do We need a whole oh, lot of Sabrina. Sabrina. We need more brothers okay. that are Sabrinas. You know what I mean? So, you know what I'm saying? Yeah. So, with all, you, know you know what I mean? So, thank you so much for everybody oh, tuning in. Okay. Please remember to give us five stars. You know what I mean? This is the Spilt Milk Podcast, S-P-I-L-T. We're on 11 different platforms. Uh, please uh, leave us a comment. Leave us a review. If you have any subjects or any um, things you want us to discuss, go ahead and message us on all the platforms that we have. Just pick one. You know what I mean? Um, we got Instagram. We're we on got Twitter. Instagram. Uh, um, Instagram. You know, we're on YouTube now as well. You know what I mean? And um, and yeah, you can listen to us. Oh, on, yeah. You know, we're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. Um, we're on, like I said, you know, 11 different platforms. Once again, I want to say thank you, thank you, thank you so much, Sabrina. Remember, March 30th, um, the event is going to be in Minneapolis. It's going to be in Columbia, Columbia Heights. Heights. Uh, we'll put up the link. Yes, Columbia, yes it's going to be the, the Columbia Heights Theater. We're going to have a link to where you can get tickets. Um, and we're also going to have Sabrina's social media information so everybody can connect with her as well. Yeah. And, and by the way, so Sabrina's screening about this documentary has been happening worldwide. So she's been doing showings in Sweden. And Sabrina, you said you have some showing coming up in Europe, too. Uh, so follow her link um, and look at the tickets and, and see if you're if you're not from Minneapolis, this documentary can come to you um, and, you know, get your tickets, show love and, you know, utilize Sabrina as a resource for yeah, know, yeah. So all of our Europeans and, out there. Yeah, we're coming, coming to Europe next month. Uh, my fellow European listeners will be in Stockholm and London and Frankfurt. So if you're in the area, come show love, meet and greet me. Um, like they said, yeah, we'll be there uh, in Minneapolis on March 30th. Be, like they say in high school, be there or be square. 
<laughs> yeah. Yo, I think we're gonna end on that note. You know what sure. I'm saying? Yo, like we always say, you know, love is always love. Peace and prosperity. Assalamualaikum. <laughs>